Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. And we're working our way together through the New Testament letter or epistle of Philippians. Today's passage is found for you on page 10 in your order of worship there. There's also a children's version for our kids who are going to remain in the service. It's also found on page 921 in the chair Bible there in front of you, the dark blue Bible. And um, if you're here today and you do not have a Bible with you at home, please take that one with you as our gift. We'd love for you to have that. And again, today's passage is found on page 921. So, what would Jesus do? Those little words went viral before that was even a thing in the early 1900s because of a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. All over the place in North America in the early 1900s, 1910s, you'd find people talking about, what would Jesus do? And then, like me, if you survived 1990s church world, you know they had a resurgence. It didn't matter about going to Sunday. That was not what was important. Getting baptized, that was not important. Even taking communion, that was not as important as making sure you had the WWJD bracelet, right? If you were there, you know, yeah. But it is an important question. What would Jesus do? Because it brings up issues like, is Jesus primarily our example? Is there more to Jesus' life than just something for us to imitate? Is sharing the gospel calling sinners to be more like Jesus? Is growth as a Christian simply trying harder to be like Jesus? All of these issues are actually in our text today. Let me remind you where we've been. So a couple weeks ago, Marty took us through verses 1 through 4, did a great job showing how Paul gives us a call to unity in the church through humility through setting aside self-concern and taking up humility, consciously looking out for the needs and interests of others. Today's passage is going to show us how Jesus himself did just that for the good of his people. And Paul's going to show us that in union with Jesus, we're not just inspired by his great example, we're actually empowered by Jesus' example. So with that, would you look with me now at today's passage? We'll pick up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, but we're going to concentrate on verses 5 through 8. This is God's Word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now for today's passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come before your Word, Lord, we once again ask that you would 
condescend to us. Send your Spirit even now to open this Word up to us that we might have truth for our growth, for our transformation. We pray, Lord, that you would confront and empower and encourage us by your Word. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul challenges them to unity in the church through humility in verses 1 through 4. And then here in verse 5 through 8, he explores how Christ's humility is kind of the how we do that, how we get there. And that gets us to our theme for today, where we're going to kind of orbit around today, and that's this. The empowering example of Jesus' humility changes us into the selfless people we wish we were. See, what we're going to see is that our union with Christ makes Jesus' humility ours already. So let's jump right in, starting with verse 5, where we see the humble mind of Jesus in Christ. And I purposely word it that way to kind of make you do a double take. Wait, it's the humble mind of Jesus in Christ. Are we talking about two different people here? What's going on? And I want you to see here how Paul puts before us an empowering example Paul says in verse 5, have this mind. We could also say have the above mind because what he's doing is he's referring back to verse 3 and 4, what he defined already. Let me reread that for you, what he said. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul sums all that up by saying this mind or this mentality or think this way. He says we need to have that in ourselves individually and as a body. And then in the second part of verse 5, it gets a little more weird. The ESV translation there in front of you says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have some other translations, they might say something like, which is also in Christ Jesus. See, and it's purposely vague, and Paul was very good at the Greek language. You can take my word for that, or I can show you if you need to be shown. But when he's vague, he's doing it on purpose because he wants to encapsulate more of a meaning. So Paul wants us to grab onto two things. He wants us to see both the humble mind that Jesus has and the humble mind that Christians have because of our union with Christ. Now, I keep using that phrase. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. The New Testament states that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord, that you are brought into union with him so that what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. His righteousness is your righteousness. His holiness is your holiness. His fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that he has, you have to the full in him. And so Paul wants us to see you have this humility in you already because of your union with Christ. Now, having talked about Christ's humility, let me make a big clarification. Non-Christians here today, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, do not look to Jesus as an example to follow. Yeah, I said it out loud. That is the path of exhaustion. That is the path of frustration. That is, that is wearing yourself out in religious works, and that is absolutely not how the Bible says you get back into reconciliation with God. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins, and that by his resurrection, he guarantees your place 
in God's family, and you place your faith and trust in that. And then, once you become a Christian, you better absolutely believe we Christians are to imitate Jesus. But you see what we do sometimes, don't we, in church world? We sometimes start to put, well, we get mad at non-Christians for not acting like Jesus, and we give ourselves a pass when we do it. But Paul is very clear here. He's talking to Christians. Have this mind in yourselves. Be who you already are. Or what he says in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This humility is in you, and our union with Christ empowers us to be like Jesus. He wants you to see this beautiful mind of Jesus, to desire this beauty, and to see that, wow, in union with Christ, we have this beauty as well. Basically, to sum up everything Paul is going to tell us in chapter 2, it's basically, look, y'all, be who you are already. He has done this. Now be this person. Here's what's going on. I want you to think of a traditional car dealership. Okay, those of you who've dealt with CarMax, they don't do this, but a traditional car dealership, right? You walk into the dealership, and they have like the three or four top-of-the-line models all kitted out, all the options. They smell great. They're polished up. They, you, can, you can actually sit down and sit in that nice leather uh, driver's chair and just feel it grab you. You can grab that steering wheel with those pistol grips right at 10 and 2, and just, you can just feel the power of this thing. And like, oh, I want it. I can't afford it, but I want it, you know? And they want you to do that. They want you to desire the beauty of this thing, to see how amazing it is. And that is what Paul is doing here. He's walking into the showroom of our lives, and he says, look at this Jesus. Look at how beautiful he is. He wants us to see this humble beauty and dream of having it. Uh, boys and girls who are still here, I know you guys don't really um, lust after cars like that. Here's how we put it for you guys. Let's look at page 10, your verse 5. It says this. It says, y'all can have the humility from verses 1 through 4 in yourselves because of who you are in Christ. Jesus gives his people the strength to be humble like he was. You see, boys and girls, Jesus has given that to us. We have it already. It's in us. We just have to get out of the way and let Jesus work in us to bring it out of us. Because our union with Christ makes Jesus' humility our humility already. So what does, what does this humility look like? Well, verse 6 tells us that humility doesn't grasp at glory. He tells us in verse 6 that Jesus was in the form or nature of God. He was very God of very God, as we say in the creed. And yet, Paul tells us he refused to grasp or to cling to that status, that privilege. I like adventure movies, and I'm a big fan of the older Indiana Jones movies. The newest one, we don't talk about that one, but the older ones look really good. I like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. On that one, they're looking for the Holy Grail, the mythical, it's not in Scripture, the mythical cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper supposedly caught his blood on the cross. So, spoiler alert, they find it. Um, and at the very end... Uh, this curse happens or whatever, this earthquake happens, and the female lead falls down this crevasse, and Indiana Jones grabs her, and he's holding on to her, and right out of her reach, we're talking like, like inches out of her reach, is the grail itself. It fell down, and she's trying to grab it. She's trying to grab it. He's like, he's like, I can't hold on to you. My hand is slipping. Let it go. Come on. And it's right there. She can't help herself, and she stretches, and he loses his grip, and she falls to her death. Earthquake happens again. He falls in. 
His dad, Sean Connery, grabs him. And again, it repeats itself. The cup is right there. And you think, surely he just watched her fall to her death. He'll be fine. He's not going to do it. Nope. He's, it's right there. It's right there. And his dad, who, if, you know, as a, if you've seen it, you know as an audience, his dad spent his whole life looking for this thing. His dad leans down in that beautiful Welsh accent and goes, Indiana. <laughs> Let it go. So he does, and he lives. And it's such a poignant part of the film because you know we're wired that way. You know we are. We will give up all sorts of stuff to grasp onto some little bit of fame, popularity, glory, status, security, whatever it is. It's right there. We want to be well thought of. We want to win. And so we grasp it. But look, dear Christian, who we could be in Christ. Look at the beautiful Savior who lets it go who doesn't grasp onto his glory. Really, if you think about it, Jesus did the opposite of what Adam did. But the Bible tells us that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, and yet what did he want to do? He did grasp onto equality with God. If you actually read it, Genesis 3, 5, what was the temptation? You will be like God. And he's like, yes, I'm grasping onto that. Whereas Jesus, who was God, doesn't grasp onto it. He doesn't cling to it. Do you see how beautifully empowering Jesus' humility is here? And in him, dear Christians, we have this humility already. It's ours in Christ. All right, so make sure you see this. So verses one through four, Paul tells us that unity comes to the church through this type of humility, that we lay aside personal interests, we don't grasp onto them, but we can only do that if we are rooted and grounded in Christ himself. If Jesus has given us a foundation, if Jesus has given us glory, then we're free to not grasp onto this. We don't have to cling to glory because we have it in Christ. In, in union with Jesus, we have this humility. In him, we're empowered to lay aside our own interests for the good of others. I'm belaboring this point because the problem, dear Christian, is not our ability. It's desire. It's our want-tos. Let your desires be changed by this inspiring example of Jesus. This beautiful, humble, gentle spirit of his. It draws us to him. It makes us want to be like him. The beauty of Jesus' humility outlined here will change your want-tos if you let it. Because our union with Christ makes Jesus' humility ours already. The next thing we see about humility in verse 7 is that humility empties to serve. Look with me at verse 7. He says this about Jesus. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So rather than clinging to his divine privileges, Jesus let them go. He emptied himself into the form or nature of a slave. So before he was in the form or nature of God, now he empties himself into the form or nature of a slave. It's the word slave. It says servant in your text, I know, because they're scared to say slave nowadays. It's slave. You're supposed to feel the ick factor, the uncomfortable factor of Jesus was a slave. Not actually a Roman slave, but metaphorically, Jesus was a slave. 
That's how much he emptied himself. And notice also, verse 6, he was preexistent. He was in the very nature God. And now in verse 7, he has a beginning as a man. He is born. Right here, these two little verses, we have this, the fully divine nature of Jesus and the fully human nature of Jesus all put together. That's why Paul chooses that word very carefully. He says, in the likeness of men instead of the form, deliberately. Because Jesus is fully human, but he's not merely human. He's more I mean, look how amazing of a person he is here. Jesus set aside his glory to soil himself as a baby. He embraces insignificance. You and I run from it, don't we? He emptied himself into the role of a servant, of a slave. This is beyond humility. This is humiliation. We, We miss the emotional impact of this but in ancient history, in, ancient, in the ancient world, slavery was super common. I mean, you could go to the marketplace, and right next to where you buy your vegetables, where you buy your meat, you could buy yourself a slave. And unlike our recent history, anybody could be a slave. In fact, the, the most common way that you got into being a slave was economic conditions. In other words, the same relationship that most of us have with Aunt Visa and Uncle MasterCard, that could get you into slavery in the ancient world. If you got to a certain point, they'd be like, you know what? Interest isn't enough. We want you, and we get you under Roman law. We own you now. Anybody could be a slave. It was a sign of being a loser. It was a sign of having failed at life, having failed at a battle, having done something wrong. You were now less than. You were now humiliated. The original readers at Philippi, we know that church had slaves in it. They would feel this humiliation of what Jesus did for them. Jonathan Edwards, the great 17th century New England pastor and theologian said, you know, what we need as Christians, we don't need a bigger view of the greatness of God. What we need is a bigger view of the goodness of God. See the goodness of God here. God the Son humiliated himself so he could serve his people. Let this beautiful mind of Christ draw you deeper into your union with him. Let that empower your humility. See, we have to have that view because you and I are so glory-starved, aren't we? We're killing ourselves for our own glory, for some little bit of recognition. If you don't think that's you, why do you think you have that compulsion to post your meal on Facebook? And those of you like me who have tried to quit, why does it still pop up? Because I want to be thought well of. I want to be thought somebody. And people will, ooh, look what I'm having. They'll think I'm nice. They'll think I'm great. They'll think I'm successful. But Jesus didn't grasp at that. He emptied himself of his own glory voluntarily. We can't really comprehend a thing of such beauty. But in Christ, we have this beauty if we want it. Because our union with Christ makes Jesus' humility ours already. And the final thing we see about this humility is that humility obeys even to death. Look with me at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. You realize Jesus Christ is the only human If the Bible's true, Jesus is the only human ever to have chosen to die. Now, some people have been brave in battle. They've been a martyr, and they've chosen perhaps when to die. But they're going to die eventually, right? 
Jesus Christ, the wages of sin is death. His sinless person and his humanity could have gone on living forever because he never earned death. He chose. He literally humbled himself to death. I want you to be astonished at how beautiful this is in Jesus. So let, let's just, let's just kind of do a little mental exercise. Jesus emptied all of his divinity into a human body. Like that old ragu commercial if you were around the late 80s, right? It's in there. He let himself, with all that in him, he let himself be mothered. He let himself be fathered. He let himself be bullied. He let himself be talked down to by religious leaders. You like being talked down to by people who know less than you, right? That's super, right? Yeah. He obeyed the prohibition that only priests could go to the special places of the temple, even though he absolutely deserved to be there. You like it when you're told forcibly, uh, you're not important enough. Jesus basically told the Roman governor in John 18, I could call down legions of angels right now, brah, and they would wipe up your little Romans. You can read it in John 18. It's, it's that snarky. He, and he goes, you have no authority except what's been given to you. No one had ever talked to Pilate that way, I assure you. Jesus humbly submitted to all that junk, and he didn't have to. I want to be real candid with you here. I hated having to wear a mask back during the plague years. I did. You know why? Because it brought up all those feelings in me. I felt mothered. I felt bullied. I felt talked down to. I felt insulted. I felt defeated over a piece of cloth. Not my finest hour, I know. So I resisted. Lots of snark on social media. That'll show them. Yeah. See, the mask mandate brought out how unhumble I was, am. But forget a stupid mask. Jesus humbled himself to death. He obeyed all the way to the cross voluntarily. You know, the original readers would connect that Jesus was made in the nature of a slave, Paul says, and that under Roman law, crucifixion was so horrible, only slaves could be punished that way, except for treason. Other parts of the New Testament Paul calls Christians slaves of Christ. Yeah, it translates it servants, it's slaves. He is our master. Like, you know, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify your master with your body. We have no rights as Christians except what our master decrees we have. And our master gave up his rights to save lost people. You see, our testimony is made real by our giving up our rights to. I mean, do you feel how radically countercultural this is? I mean, do you see how this is a threat to the way things are? Because our culture right now says, and, and it's not just our culture, it's humans in general, but our culture specifically says, hey, you need to have your moment to speak your truth. You need, you need to have that moment where you stand up and say, this is who I am, take me or leave me. Right? Rooted in that Greek pagan idea of catharsis where you basically say, I'm going to take all my junk and smear it all over you and I don't care what it does to you, I'm having my moment. 
Christianity comes and says, actually, humble yourself to death. It's like the worst sales pitch for Christianity ever, isn't it? Right? But regardless of your political views, I want you to think right now, what would you, don't, don't say it out loud, just in your mind, what are the one or two biggest problems in the world today? Got them? Here's the question I want to ask. Are those problems made better or worse by having hordes of people who say, I will humble myself and give up for others? I would bet that the Christian worldview has the juice to fix the problems of our world in a way that our stand up and be recognized culture doesn't. You should want Christianity to be true if you want the world to be better because this kind of selflessness can change the world. See, and also in our rights-demanding culture, when non-Christians see Christians giving up rights, giving up preferences, it will change them. Jesus himself said in John 17, the world will know that the gospel is real by how you love. See, Paul calls on church unity here, and he's rooting it in the person and work of Christ because this kind of unity in the body is a gospel issue. If Christians can't get along with each other, Paul would say, you're not Christians. It's that stark. You know, one of the things I love about Sycamore, one of the the reasons I'm glad that my kids get to attend this church because you realize I don't have a choice where my kids go to church, right? So one of the reasons I'm glad it's here um, is this, is that this church really does love well. It does. This church is really good at giving up being comfortable 100% of the time. And we got people here, I mean, just to be silly, we got people here who wear shorts and flip-flops every Sunday. We got people who don't wear shoes. They wear hyper-colored socks all the time. We got people who wear three-piece suits and we got everybody in between. And when you get right down to it, no one cares, right? We don't care. We got people who love it when we sing the, the newer, fast-paced songs. We got people who loathe it. And we got people who love it when we sing the older hymns. We got people who hate it. And you know what? By design, we want you to be uncomfortable about 20%, 30% of the time. And guess what? We, we, you are, and we, we don't care. <laughs> right? We don't care. We're just here to worship Jesus. It's not about that. Can, can I get even more serious about it? If you can name the addiction, it's in this church. Visual, chemical, behavioral. I'm not going to out you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Some people are squirming right now. Okay. <laughs> it's in this church. All the stuff out there in the culture, the sexual identity, the gender issues, they're in here. And we love each other through it. It's a safe church for things like that. I love how this unity is being shown, how Jesus' humility is being manifest in this body. That's living out this Christ-like humility because our call is to be like Jesus. And in union with him, we can be if we want to. All right, let me wrap this up. So, as many of you know, I used to be in corporate America, and I sat in a cubicle and didn't sell insurance for about three years, much to the chagrin of my manager. I was terrible at it. I was, I was terrible. 
And we had this, we, he always had these sales guys come in and try to hype us up because that's what it was really. It wasn't a lack of skill. It was a lack of emotion apparently. So right, we had this one guy come in and he was different. I think he was a Christian and he had this really substantial talk and it, it basically summed up with, look, here's the deal. You guys are bad salesmen because you're prideful. You're afraid to hear the word no. If you will humble yourself and where the no doesn't bother you, you'll get through the five to ten no's to get the one yes. But until you let go of your pride, you're never going to do that. I was like, wow, this is like my church or something? So back up, dude. You know? <laughs> and then his little shtick he kept going back to to get us to remember it. Because sometimes you got to give up to go up. And that's what Paul is telling us here. He's telling these Philippians, man, you need to give up to go up. He's telling them Jesus gave up to go up. And y'all, we need to look to Jesus because we need to give up to go up. Jesus was full, and yet he emptied himself, surrendering his glory, going all the way to the cross. He emptied himself, giving up his privilege so completely that on the cross he experienced our worst nightmare, completely irrelevant, utterly ignored, cut off, rejected, and alone. But look what he did. In him he offers us grace, forgiveness, and empowerment to be like him. Now look at this incredible humility and know it is for you. Now if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you would call yourself a non-Christian, place your faith and trust in this Jesus, the humble, resurrected Lord, and he will change you. And for those of you here today who know you're Christians, oh, our union with Christ makes this humility, our humility already. Bring that humility out for your own good, and for the good of your church, and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for hard texts like this that confront us. And Lord, we ask that even now, you would help us, those of us who know you especially, to cast aside our pride and that you would empower us by our union with Christ to be the humble people you've already made us into. Lord, we ask that we would be those who do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That we would, in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. That we would look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And that we would look to Jesus who even though he was in the form of God, did not grasp at that, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave and humbling himself to death. Oh Lord, would you change us by the power of his actions and his example. And Lord, we ask for those here today who do not know you, that you would be true to your promise that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, and shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for our new life, that you would draw all people to yourself. And even now, Lord, you would build your kingdom. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.